Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search a community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we are spouting off about how do you value your time with tech. Let's get into episode number 28. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. And with me today, like an expert hatchet thrower hurling camera knowledge that hits its target every time, Wendy. And like a sick toddler just hurling its dinner at you, but with gaming suggestions, Matt, how are you two? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Very, very creative. So many things I want to say, none of them I'm allowed to say on this show. <laughs> I have been known to beep things out on this show from time to time. You might want to beep out this one in this instance. Okay. Na- <laughs> <laughs> Why whatever do you mean? There you go, Wendy. That better. <laughs> Says the guy who I just noticed on Steam booted up RetroArch while we're uh, recording. Actually, that is my boy who is playing on my Steam oh, Deck because he, for whatever reason, likes the old games too. Oh my god! FYI, Arch. Uh, well, it's not the Arch that makes it good. It's the Steam OS that makes it good. You could have any package management system on there. They just happen to choose the worst one. Anyway, <laughs> Flatpak. Oh my goodness. No. <laughs> Wendy, I see that you are in full swing with robotics. I am. We finally got the board set up from last year's first LEGO League game. That took a little tweaking. I forgot how big this gosh dang thing was. I mean, it's absolutely huge. And we have six people crammed in this relatively smaller house and I've got junk all over the place that I still need to get rid of. So finding space for it and getting set up was a little bit difficult, but it is up right now. And once it was originally up, the kids grabbed my tablet and was using the Spike Prime app to do just a little bit of base coding with Scratch while we were getting things going. And then taking one of those laptops that I got for Bill for education, I threw Fedora 36 on it. I now have a Wendy or a teacher profile, the administrator profile, and then I also have a student profile on there right now. My kids and I have been using this laptop to code our robot with for the last several days. It's pretty much what I've been doing all day, all weekend long. So we're recording on a Monday. On Saturday, I had big plans to get all of this stuff done. There's things in my house that needs to be caught up on. And I found myself at this table, working with it, trying to get it consistent on different runs, writing things in Python code. And there was a certain series of events that I just could not get to be consistent. And it was really driving me nuts. And at 10 o'clock, my youngest child was like, Mom, it's bedtime. Can I get some snuggles before I go to bed? And I'm like, okay, I have to stop obsessing about this. Put the gosh dang robot away and go take care of some kid things. I plan on setting two of these laptops up for robotics and I need to figure out a good solution to just sync those files back and forth on the devices. So The way the robot game is set up this year, there's two different homes and we can have up to four kids at the table at once. So previous years, there was one home base. You can only touch your robot when it's in home 
And at home, only two students, two team members can be at the table at once. Well, now that's kind of expanded. And depending on how they work and write their code, we could maybe have two runs, four runs going on at different times. And it would be nice if for each set of kids working on particular tasks, they could have their own coding laptop set up and ready to go but those files syncing between devices. So whichever laptop we bring with us on the day of, it's got every single code on it. So if anything needs tweaked, adjusted, whatever, we have that with us too. I have an additional solution that I'm working on that I'll talk to you about that later on in this episode, but things are now rolling. I've now reworked out some of the MicroPython that I forgot from early in the year. I have a really bad phone video that I've taken of us now scoring 130 points. Yes, this 130 points includes the inspection bonus. Our robot is small enough that it would fit in that home inspection circle. So that's a bonus of points. This also includes our precision token bonus because we're not touching the robot while it's doing the run. We still have more time. I timed what we have currently running in the robot and it's like 45 seconds is what it takes it to do it. We have two and a half minutes before the run is over. We have two and a half minutes to score as many points as we can. And so the kids and I will be working to see just how many points we can actually score with this robot and the attachments that they've built within that time period. I'm thinking we could hit 240 points with the attachments the kids have made for it. Very simple. It's made coding for it pretty easy as far as attachments go. And I cannot wait to start sharing this stuff with the team and working on the competition robot and coding that robot in Python with them. When it comes to syncing, have you considered perhaps using SyncThing and just synchronizing the work folders between the different computers so you don't have to worry about using any service? That's probably going to be the best route. We used Google Drive in the past in order to sync files back and forth, but I would much rather not do that if we don't have to. I've never set up SyncThing before, and I know there's also some different options, open source options for syncing files. Here's what I need. I need something that will easily sync the files back and forth between devices when they're on the network, and I need it to be really easy to set up and easy to administrate. So this is one of those things I'm definitely going to the community with because there's so many people out there who have done this, worked with some of these different softwares out there, which one ticks all of those boxes? And if it doesn't necessarily tick all of those boxes, where is it lacking? And is that something that I can work around or work with? I'm sure internet connectivity is going to be an issue for you just based on, you know, reasons. Right. Do you have any issues at the school or wherever you meet? You have good internet connection there? It's definitely not fast. And when we are at competition, it's at local schools. It's typically been at one middle school Mm -hmm. here, not too far from us. And so I'm not counting, especially on competition days with the amount of people that are there, us having fast internet. The advantage is these are just Python files. So they're not really big. It's not like we need to send a lot of data back and forth. I'm kind of curious since we've been talking about it, like what's the size of the current Python file for the code that I have right now. Now, 
we'll definitely be adding a lot more to it, but I really don't think it's that big. If it's just small or text files, I mean, imagine if they're not like multiple megabytes in the hundreds of megabytes in size, it's probably not going to be an issue. I'm willing to bet that sync thing would probably work very well for you. My current Python file right now that is scoring my points, our current run, is only 6.2 kilobytes. Okay. It will definitely get bigger as we have more code, but I don't see it being even close to even a megabyte. Yeah, then I think you're probably fine doing sync thing. It wouldn't require any accounts. You can sync them all between the different machines very easily. And I've had very good luck using it as a regular sync tool for like the last five years. And it's only improved over time as far as the reliability of it. I truly don't have any nice. complaints anymore other than you do have to specifically take the time to set things up. It does take a little bit because you have to send the keys back and forth like the, the identification string and then once you have the identification string, then you have to approve it. And so that process just takes longer than like a Google Sync or some other similar product. But once it's set, it's pretty much set and it's not a problem. Mm. And it works great for me. Like for my homeschool activities, I have a few master systems that can edit the files. And then on the homeschool computers that the kids use, they only have read access to it. So they can't actually destroy the data. It's really easy to set that up. Ah, nice. And they can't change it on their end. It's actually changed on the end of whichever nodes are controlling it. So anyway, it works really well. I'm actually quite pleased with how SyncThing works. And for a purpose like that, especially if it's just kilobytes of data, it might work very well for you. Awesome. I will definitely do some more looking into that and see what happens. Because if it's working really well, then I could possibly automatically sync those to my desktop too. Because I do have team code and then personal code that I'm working on at home or whatnot that would be perfect to have that shared. Yeah, just a separate folder is all you need to do to identify it as having different properties for how you share it. Because you could have like teacher template files or whatever that you put together that they only have read access to in one folder and then another folder have the student stuff that obviously you can read and write on and the other students can as well. Yeah, that is a really awesome solution. It is an awesome solution. And it also does do backups. So it's a very simple backup system. But if you delete things, it does keep a copy of the deleted items in a folder for a period of time. I like that. Yeah, it's really... (gasps) Yay! Oh my gosh! We got the grant! Sorry. Nope, nope, it's fine. Time out. Totally off topic. I just got a text message from my co-mentor saying that we got a grant for all of our supplies for this year. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Okay, back on track. If you have any handy different little links or tutorials how to use SyncThing or set some of that up, I would be awesome if you'd drop them in one of our shared chats. And I will definitely be taking a look at that because even if it's not something that we use for all of our code for robotics, it would be so awesome to have that for different things around the house, especially between my main system and the kitchen system. Because I don't know how many times that there is a text file or whatever that would be really handy to have. And I only have access to it on my main desktop and somebody else is using it. And so I can't get to that file at the time. So this is a solution that I think I will be setting up for multiple reasons. I sent you a link in our show chat for an article that somebody you know wrote on a certain silly website some years back. (laughs) 
Like you wrote it. Yes, I wrote it. Uh, on cubiclenate.com. It is. I probably need to update this article because some things have changed in sync thing, but the core piece of it's the same. Perfect. Yep. Matt, I have got to have so much fun with the robot. Okay, I can't say all fun. There are times that it's been quite frustrating, but nowhere near the frustration that you are having lately dealing with car insurance. Are you hanging in there? Oh, yeah. You know, I just love to know and dealing with car insurance companies and making claims and all the other fun stuff. So that's been a fun experience, even though if you look at the actual physical damage that you can currently see anyway, it looks like it's just a fender bender. But, you know, after so many years of paying for the stuff, at some point you're just going to be like, I'm just going to double check to make sure it's just what I'm seeing and not something underneath the surface like we find a lot of the times in computing technology. Right, Nate? Uh, right. <laughs> Oh, no. Like, you know, when you get to those uh, certain things with computers where it's like, oh, this computer only likes this kind of RAM or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, it's RAM. Oh, it's kind of RAM. Not really. I was thinking along the lines of when you think something's under warranty, but it's really not. That's kind of like insurance, sort of. And then when you find out that it's covered over every area that it will not fail, but that one area that it will actually fail, that's what's not covered. So there's that. Yeah, definitely. I will give credit to the insurance company that I'm working with. They have actually been fairly quick to go through the most of the claims process so far. So in comparison to some of them that I've dealt with where it's they'll drag you on and on and on and on and on. It's just one of those. It's nice to at least like one person I know, they literally waited like six weeks to get their vehicle, like the estimate done for the damages and stuff. Like it, sometimes these guys are absurd with the wait times. So to not have to deal with that has been kind of nice. So I'll give them credit there. But basically been my fun times right now as far as life. And just when you think you already had one thing situated and cleaned up, it goes right back to where it was. And you're just like, well, so much for that. So other than that, yeah, that's pretty much been the uneventful, but doing the adulting thing that none of us actually really like to do and how to spend our time. Because, you know, where's the fun in that? Maybe you should just avoid getting into accidents and that wouldn't be an issue. Just pay your insurance and don't get into an accident. Well, let's see. The thing is, (laughs) I do pay my insurance and it's not necessarily me. It's probably other drivers. No, it's probably you. I see how you suggest games. Uh, Towards you with reckless abandonment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's probably how you drive. No, because Wendy already knows the type of vehicle I drive, so she knows that that it would be self-inflicted pain, which I would not do. (laughs) Yes, yes. We kind of had a bit of that discussion before the show kicked off while we were still waiting for you to join in, Nate, and yeah. While I was struggling, yeah. (laughs) I wonder if that's how you drive too, Nate. Um... Struggling, yes. Yes, every time I drive, it's a struggle. I imagine. Not necessarily for me, but those in the vehicle. Yeah, it's definitely a struggle for them. It's just like it's a struggle for you to admit that you use Arch. I don't use Arch. I use SteamOS. If I tried to go onto the Arch forum and ask for help on SteamOS, they would tell me to get lost, kid. Or you just wait for Valve to update it and you can pay the thing anyway, so therefore the problem fixed usually. Right, so it's not Arch. Now you made my point. <laughs> Nate, I know you like to play Pac-Man because you're from the 80s. Type in pseudo Pac-Man and whatever you want to install. There you go. Problem flop. <laughs> you still mm. use an Arch, homie. But if I did that without making any modifications to the system... Wendy, does that mean if he plays Pac-Man, he's using Arch? Actual, like, Atari Pac-Man. I would say Ms. Pac-Man would be awesome. Oh. So, Nate, you are an Arch user. Either way. Maybe I'm a Pac-Man user. Eh, you keep calling it whatever you want. I'm only, like, Pac-Man fever kind of Pac-Man user, not Pac-Man the... 
package manager that has the cryptic syntax for doing very simple things. So while I'm busy working on making claims with my insurance to get things fixed, Nate, you still have things that are broken, but at least you understand why. Oh, maybe. Yes, maybe. <laughs> well, what I learned is sometimes it's better to not think you know what you're doing or admit you don't know the best course of action and then getting an expert. Anyway, what has happened is the air conditioning in my cubicle studio here, that's part of Cubicle Labs, decided it would stop working. All winter long, I was using it as a heater, no problems. And so I didn't really want to dig into it too hard because I'm not really versed on a lot of HVAC stuff. I'll do some things, but not a lot. And since this is a mini split system, it's a little bit more smart, I guess. So I went and I uh, had a friend of mine who does HVAC. He came here and he opened up the outdoor unit. He actually charged it to begin with. I put the, the Freon in it. He says, oh, well, here's your problem. The board burned out. It looks like you had some sort of a power surge and the board took it because you don't have a surge suppressor out here and, and whatever else. So I looked to see if I could just buy a replacement outdoor unit because I don't know what else is wrong with it. But that really wasn't a thing. And you can't just buy any outdoor unit, any out mini split unit and attach it. So doing a little digging, going through the warranty claims, I can't claim it because it was through power surge, no fault of the company that created it. And I purchased another board. The board has not yet arrived. I purchased it last week sometime. I hope to replace the board and then install a surge suppressor. But here's some things that I learned. One, if you think it's a good deal to buy online, even if it's from Home Depot or Lowe's, it's probably not a good idea. Cheap is bad, and it's probably going to cost you more, at least if nothing else, an inconvenience and time. And also, all of these mini-split units have proprietary communication between the indoor and outdoor units. So there's not really a standard like you have with traditional HVAC systems. So people really push these mini-splits as, a, oh, this is a great way to do a thing. But if they fail, you can't just buy parts for them and use them. Most HVAC systems they have agreed upon standards on how they operate. And so you don't have these mishmash of different competing standards as far as like how the controller unit talks to the actual system. Now, I mean, they have different boards inside and they are smarter. And as they get smarter, things break. But for the most part, there are better standards with the traditional HVAC as opposed to these mini splits. So it's just another layer of irritation in the whole thing. Hopefully this board will fix it that no other components blew out as a result of the surge. Chances are probably not, but I will be purchasing a dedicated surge suppression box that the mini split's going to plug into. So hopefully I won't have another one of these issues again. All the rest of the equipment in my studio and out here in the cubicle labs all sits behind some sort of a surge suppressor or a UPS. So nothing else was affected by whatever knocked out the HVAC unit. I know what life is like living without AC in the summer. We went most of the summer without it, and I completely and totally feel your pain. It's probably worse out there in cubicle labs. I don't know if you have quite the same amount of insulation or whatnot. It's not where you're sleeping, but it definitely makes it a not very fun place to work. Has the extra heat in cubicle labs affected the CNC machine you build? Has it affected prints that you've tried to do? It's not a very nice thing when it comes to just the environment that you're working in, you're right now recording in. Has it had some other negative effects as well? I don't think it really has had other negative effects. I've been doing most of my work in the house, like editing and such, because it's easier to 
not sweat while you know working on a computer. And also I've been just shutting things down here like in the evenings so that things don't just continually run out here right now. But it does cause the fans to spin a lot more when it's currently 81 degrees in here as opposed to the 70 or so that it would normally be. Also, there is more humidity and that does seem to have a negative effect on the 3D printer, I think. I know the PLA doesn't like moisture at all. They are in containers that will keep moisture out, but while printing and whatnot, that does cause the PLA and such to degrade. I don't know if the ABS has the same issues, at least I haven't noticed it with the ABS, but the PLA does seem to have some issues with the higher humidities. I don't think most of the equipment is actually that heat sensitive. I mean, again, it's only 80 degrees. It's not like it's 100 degrees. That would change things a little bit, but for the most part, the equipment out here isn't bothered by the 80 degree temperature that the building is sitting at right now. The one thing I do notice is when I'm recording and Matt irritates me, I get a lot hotter under the collar a lot quicker because you don't have air conditioning. But that's the only thing that I notice when recording. Say what, our chooser? <laughs> this episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean's new app platform service. They help you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever before with their simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let them do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and container images. By running App Platform on their infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps the cost significantly lower than any of the other products out there. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure. As a Linux Out Loud listener and member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app with their App Platform for free, and it gets better! DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash dln. Again, go to do.co slash dln to get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Like knowing when to phone a friend when getting an AC unit up and operational, sometimes you have to wonder, how do you value your time with tech? When is it time to consult somebody outside of you and your bubble, or even maybe not do a thing yourself and have somebody else do the work for you? One of the things that we hear a lot of in our community is you know, self-hosting versus hosted services and whatnot. When is it better to self-host versus have somebody else host it? I often think about the different things that I have to do on a daily basis. And although I really enjoy technology, there's some aspects of it I find that I just don't feel like taking care of myself anymore. So do either of you come upon this sort of conundrum where you decide, you know, maybe I'm better off just not doing this in tech or whatever? I think that comes up a lot in my day-to-day. How am I going to make things work? You and I both have kids. Matt seems to have a job that never ends and he's constantly there. Matt is the kid. Matt is the kid. There you go. (laughs) That what do I have time to do? I would love to learn all the things. I would love to have all of the solutions, but you don't always have time for that. No, you don't. And sometimes it does require you to pick and choose and invest your time where you see fit and is more often where you get the most value for that time. And sometimes I hate to break it, like in the topic of either self-hosted or hosted. Look at email. Most people will tell you self-hosted is great. 
if you want to put the time into managing it. If you don't want to do any type of managing of email, go hosted or like the very many hybrid options that are available because it can be a pain to self-host, especially if it's a lot of people that you're in accounts that you're self-hosting because then you're dealing with filters and everything else uh, that you have to set up rules for. So I definitely understand where people are coming from with that. As far as being the kid, Nate, the only kid here is you. Well, I mean, you're not wrong. I am kind of a child. I do agree. Now, Wendy does have a mat that is a child, and that goes <laughs> by the name of Magneto. <laughs> he just breaks technology, so therefore Wendy has to figure out when to find the time to fix the technology. <laughs> he hasn't broke technology as much in the last little while Though I know they keep talking about how they're doing some, they're going to be doing some upgrades for him for work. And that's gotten now pushed off into the beginning of next year. But that's going to be quite interesting when he's got not technology that's been old from work, but a newer laptop and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's going to be an adventure. I do still have a tablet that I broke, the glass on it that I haven't got fixed yet. Yeah, we're all kids around here. <laughs> I think this this also sort of leads into something else too. You know, the Steam Deck, as much as I like it, it is a appliance device that somebody else takes care of essentially for me, right? I mean, Valve is pushing out the updates and I don't have to really fiddle around with it to make it work, to get it to work. I just have to understand how it works or how to work it. I could probably get any number of the cheaper devices out there than what the Steam Deck is. There's lots of little handheld switch format i should say like sega game gear layout sort of consoles out there and i could probably put steam os on it or something very like it but then i'm going to be spending a lot more time making sure it keeps working and in this case like if i want to play a game at this point and not to sound like matt but i think i'm becoming a little bit more like matt don't tell matt or anybody this but like when i want to just play a game for a little bit you know here and there i just want to pick it up play the game and then set it back down and i also want to have all the the different things that make the steam deck fun you know like being able to ssh into it and and so forth where i can just copy games onto it remotely and so all these different little things that i enjoy about it but i don't necessarily want to do the unenjoyable aspects of managing a system that particular system there's a DIY option, many DIY options out there, but I don't know that I really want to DIY that particular thing because I don't know that I have the same kind of gaming passion that somebody is who builds a computer for gaming, if that makes any sense. It does. Totally makes sense. The way I do gaming is very appliance-like. It has been that way for quite a long time, really, ever since I started doing more specific Linux gaming where it's like, oh, don't work, move on. Like, I, I don't sit there and really argue with what version of Proton do I need to go find? And like anything beyond maybe downloading something through like Proton Up QT is about the extent I'll go to because that does it for me. And I'm too lazy to go create folders and stuff in different libraries and hunt across all the USR land of uh, Linux file systems to go find it. Other than that, I'm very much applying driven when it comes to the gaming as well because I view it as an entertainment medium but it's also gaming is my way of like relaxing and unwinding and downtime as far as just like my disengagement I don't want to have to really think when it comes to my technology at a certain point like you Nate I like to explore and all that fun stuff but 
you get to a certain point where it's just like, is the exploring worth the amount of time it's going to eat into it? Because, you know, we have that finite nature in us after you get to a certain point where it's like, uh, eh, nah, I'm just going to go find the easy route instead. You know, and some people, God bless them, that easy route is going down that rabbit hole for spending their time on finding those solutions. For me, I'm kind of getting like you, old and curmudgeon-y and kind of more, I just want to, enjoy the things I want to enjoy and I don't have to fight with things as much anymore. See, and I'm currently on the journey of building my own console type device and that'll be the gaming PC. It'll be a steam machine. Yeah, it'll essentially be a steam machine, but I'm putting all the bits and pieces and parts together. I'm the one installing the OS in order to make it work. And the advantage to that For me, the reason why I want to do that is A, because of the storage size on it. It's not only going to be the kids playing on this, it'll also be Magneto. And B, it needs to work with VR. And I guess the C point would be cost. Like there are very specific things that I want. And if I'm going to find that in a pre-built package, right now that would cost me a lot more because I already have so many parts. There are a few parts that I still need, a case, a cooler for the CPU in order to make this all happen, get it finally put together. But cost was right now, rolling the solution myself is much better than getting a prepackaged one. I absolutely think that rolling own solution is very often the correct course of action. I want to be clear, like I like rolling my own solutions for lots of things, but only the things that I really am passionate about doing myself. Some things I'm just not real passionate about doing, at least at this time, or I'm not always passionate about it. Like building my own PC, like I built my Commodore 64 imposter, but it was a specific goal I wanted in that. I didn't necessarily want to go through the process of building my own die to build my own mold to do the injection molding of the case. I would rather farm that out to somebody else who has more expertise in that. And I think for me, I'm finding where is that line. Now, I do like to fiddle around with my Steam Deck, but only in as such that I add functionality to it and I don't break anything. I don't want to have to do any sleight of hand to get something to work on it. That's my stop point there. And, you know, Flatpak basically give you that ability. But I don't want to go so far as to have to learn anything about Arch and maintaining the system with the Arch package management. I'll leave that all to Valve because frankly, I feel like I'm kind of lazy in that regard. And there's something else where I decided that I'm not going to finish a project and let somebody else take a certain aspect of it. So I don't know if you guys know this, but I have a passion for vintage technology. I don't know if if you're aware of that. Really? No. (laughs) (laughs) You could have fooled me. Yes, I could have. I know, right? I have multiple Commodore 64s and, and these are things that I don't know where they came from. I think that maybe if left in a box, they multiply somehow. Not really sure. I was going to fix all these machines and use them. And so they've been on the bench waiting for me to to do it. I started down the road of fixing them about two years ago or so. Actually, it might be longer now that I'm thinking about it. But certainly, they've been on the workbench since I moved into here, into, into my new place a year ago. I guess maybe not new anymore. New to me still. Still excited to be here. And I just decided in this past week that, you know what? I am never going to be able to successfully get these things fixed. I don't have all the diagnostic equipment. I don't have all the, the extra pieces that, to be able to test these things out. And I lack a lot of the knowledge. So I decided I would tuck my tail between my legs 
package all the three motherboards that I had yet to fix or to do anything with in a box with the extra parts I did purchase to do the fixing since I did identify what the problems were with one of them and send it off to an expert. I decided it was better to have somebody else fix it. And they were able to turn it around in an afternoon and it cost me about $200, including shipping, to uh, get it there and back and get the repairs done. I'm a little disappointed in myself that I didn't figure it out myself, but my soldering skills just aren't there. I don't quite have the patience. And the fact that my air conditioning doesn't work out here pretty much made it like I don't even want to mess with it at this point. So I just decided it was time to phone an expert. In this case, it was somebody I met on Facebook. I have no idea even what they look like even, just part of some vintage computer club. And I sent it off to them and it's on its way back to me now. So having been in that similar situation, Nate, so for those that don't know, uh, the workstation I generically have is uh, coming up on what you can call vintage tech, given how old the uh, CPU is. Uh, It's a second gen (laughs) i7 at this point. I mean, we're on what, 12 and Ryzen six, five area. So I've had that since 2000 and dear Lord, been a long time. (laughs) I'm not sure what 2000 and dear Lord is. (laughs) (laughs) For me and a piece of technology that is over 10 years old, a long time. Oh, wow. So the GPU is MXM standard, which is, you know, it's an upgradable GPU, which cool. Awesome. As the GPU has gotten older and it falls off support from AMD or NVIDIA. I've sent it out a few times to somebody because I know how to get to it. I'm not the best when it comes to wiring and all the other stuff as far as being genteel enough that some people would, uh, you know, send me to play around on a motherboard (laughs) in a cramped uh, workstation computer. I've shipped the thing out a couple of times to Ryan just here, you do it. Here's the parts. (laughs) I totally get it because I could do it, but how many things am I going to break along the way potentially to do it? As a system that I can't afford to have down all that often, that's one of those things where you have to balance out, well, how much time am I going to put into this if I do it? And how much time am I going to spend having somebody else do it or, you know, money to if you want to go that route. So I totally get where you're coming from with just there's that fine line of like, "Eh, it's probably better for somebody else to do it. Right. And in that line, network solutions is probably one of those things that I would phone an expert for. A, because I don't have the knowledge, B, because it's a security issue, and C, I currently don't have the time to read up, play with it, learn more on it, and that would be one of those situations where it's best for me not to cover all of it. I have had routers in the past where I have thrown open source firmware on and used, and I do have a Synology router right now that I do do some tweaking to some profile setup for different users, different people in my house. So I'm controlling some of that flow. Now I did do my pie hole myself, but overall, I don't think that that was a very massive hurdle. Pi has been out long enough and there was so much documentation on that and enough people in the community that I was comfortable making that network tweak. But anything more than that, it would definitely be going out to somebody else, following an expert, having them help in doing that. Now, when it comes to things like email, there's very few people that actually roll their own email anymore. And for very, very good reasons, that's something that is difficult to maintain. And most people don't have time to do that. 
We were talking earlier about document sharing, and there are many different realms inside the open source community in order to do that. Google Drive has been very, very popular. And why is it popular? It's because it is so easy to set up. The downside of that is you potentially have somebody looking, using all of your data for their backend, for the advertising stuff. And I have really wanted to find an alternative to Google Drive, a place that I could have documents, but more importantly, work and share them in different online environments. There's times where my daughter's working on a document and I would like to work on it too. And we typically have internet around here or to be able to access that document when I'm out doing something else. There is a reason and a purpose for Google Docs, Google Drive, in order to work on some of those things. But in my trying to find a solution, a replacement, it seemed very overwhelming. And I think part of that is because I don't have the network knowledge like I was talking about earlier and making sure I have those servers set up properly where I can access them, but people I don't want accessing them can't. And it becomes, I want those solutions, but I don't really have time to set them up. So now I'm going with an alternative that I don't like, but I'd probably be willing to pay somebody to help me set up the open source solution. I don't know. I think that's a tough one because there are many cases where the open source solution is for sure the better, easier to manage solution. And there are sometimes when the open source solution isn't necessarily the easiest to manage solution. It's kind of tough. And I think a lot of that you have to weigh out what your skill sets are and then what you're willing to do and what you're willing to give up to accomplish that task, whatever it may be. At least I know that with you know, how I do things in my life, how I barely function in my life, I should say, sometimes, that without some of those open source solutions, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things I'm able to do as efficiently as I do them. Sync thing being one of them and how I do school preparation every week for the school year. I need to have those open source solutions. I could probably do them with the proprietary solutions, but it may not work as cleanly. And since I know sync thing and I took the time to learn it some time ago, that was an easy drop in. Let's accomplish this. But you know, like email, there's no way I would ever want to set up email and do that myself because one, I don't have a passion for it. Although it's a very open platform, as it were, it's very decentralized. It's a very difficult thing to manage because of how much email is abused anymore, which just actually concerns me just in general. Is it possible that other open decentralized platforms, could those be abused as well and ruin it for all of us? I don't know. There's definitely times where rolling your own is like, lovely. Take the laptop, for example. I hated the proprietary solution from Lego. And coding mm -hmm. in that I find absolutely atrocious, especially the Python version of coding inside of that application. There is no copy-paste. There's no copy-paste at all. So you can have several different runs and several different files, and you'd have to manually type everything out. We do multiple turns, and I mean, we do a lot of turns and we're using the gyroscope that is built into the hub to help do those turns as accurately as possible. Typing all of that out every single time while it can be done is not fun at all. So the work that it took in order to roll my own, which really wasn't that bad, far outweighs 
what using the proprietary built-in solution would be. Now, somebody else has already done the work and made the extension for VS Code, so I can use something else, but getting that set up on a Fedora system is a breeze in compared to what it would take to type out those commands every single time we needed to do a turn by gyro set of commands. Your Lego robotics example is a great example of what worked very well rolling it your own to make it work better with how you want to use your equipment. And sometimes things like the open source solution for CAD has been more difficult for me than a closed source solution. But because I have such a passion for being able to do it in open source, I'm willing to make that commitment there. The discomfort in paying for an option that may not continue to work in Linux is greater than the pain in having to deal with software that doesn't necessarily have all the features that I want. I guess you have to manage your pain in that one. Yeah, and that's definitely how it goes with all of these different solutions, both open source and proprietary. We're pretty open here that sometimes the proprietary solution is the best option for a particular individual, for a particular situation. And I'm not opposed to sometimes using those proprietary options depending on what's going on. And I think that's part of what we need to be open about. We're pretty open about the fact that, you know, we do that around here. I wish it could always be the open source option. I really wish it could. But I don't have enough time in the day to A, manage all of them and learn how to. Well, tell us what you think. When is it time to phone an expert or to push off a certain task to another organization or even a business or somebody else versus doing it yourself? Do you have a hard time determining what's the highest and best of use of your time? And do you sometimes put off accomplishing a task because you're just not ready to tackle it for an extended period of time? Where is your line when it comes to how do you value your time with tech? Hello, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we, well, that they use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password, as well as additional authentication such as master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your password safe. From me. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. $10 premium account includes 1 gigabyte of encrypted file storage, 2-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, and TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, and Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like my wife, Sinister Wendy, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition only starts at $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for supporting this episode of Linux Out Loud. Magneto out. Wendy, I see you have some repos that you set up for your Lego League team. What is this about? Yeah, this is a little bit of rolling my own solution, kind of, sort of. I had talked to Bill previously about one way that we could share code and for the kids to be able to look at it when they're not with us. And that was using maybe a GitHub repo. The downside of that is in order to have one for a quote-unquote organization, There's the potential for needing to pay for that with GitHub in general. And so 
that has kind of been put on hold for quite a while because in order to get a nonprofit status on that, our co-op would need to have some sort of nonprofit status. And it was a whole bunch of paperwork in the back end that seemed to be really, really overwhelming. And while cruising through the joys of Mastodon and some of the stuff that the fantastic listener of this show has mentioned on Mastodon shared from a website, an additional Git service called Codeberg. The best thing about this one, it is entirely open source. It doesn't cost anything to use. So I've already set up a repo just for me, my personal one, where I can share the runs that I'm doing here, some of the extra learning things, so chunks of code for particular solutions. This is how I'm getting the sensor to work, whatnot. So it's just under my name, and the kids can look at it, other kids doing FFL can look at it and help as they are building out their robots and they're learning how to code in Python. Now I'm going to be upfront. I'm still learning Python. I don't know how well my document is actually formatted. So if some of you out there, I will share a link in the description, if some of you out there do know Python, do know proper formatting, which I know there's many of you out there, if you could share with me what is wrong in the nicest way possible, I don't take being called an idiot very well. I know I'm admitting the fact that I don't know what I'm doing, but look at my code and review if there's different ways that it could be formatted better because I want to teach the kids better and the proper formatting for their Python files. So when they leave our group, our team, and potentially use these skills elsewhere, they are doing that correctly. They're doing it in a way that it's easiest for them to be joining organizations, businesses, and writing code for them. Now, because Codeberg is free and open source, I also have a different repo set up for an organization. So our team will now have their very own code repo and the kids can be able to access the code whether they are with us as a team or on their personal machines at home. Some of that is just so they can read through it. I think one of the best ways in order to learn it, one of the best ways in order to learn it for me has been read what that line is. And I'm trying to make sure I'm really, really good at next to almost every single line, adding a comment about what that means. I don't want to put out a piece of code that my team or other teams are going to be looking at and be like, okay, I see what this says but what exactly does that mean? And so I've tried to make sure that there's comments in order to say, this is what this line does, or this is what this block is for. So as an example, the robot that I have right now, it will push a truck forward and it will latch it to the bridge. And then it goes and knocks down both sides of the bridge. Inside of the code that I currently have written, I have saying just above it, like, that's what we're doing in here. We're knocking down the bridge during this block of code. Every single turn I separate out, I've been separating out mainly for ease of reading it, mainly for as the kids are going through it, they're like, oh, okay, this whole chunk here is a turn and this is the turn I need to be focusing on. 
and I can edit that right there. And the only thing we're editing in turns is the number of degrees that the gyroscope is reading before it stops. And I want it to be easy for me to go back through and make changes and easy for the kids to go back and make changes and easy for them to access whether they're with us or not with us. And Codeberg is definitely filling that goal. Speaking of rolling your own solutions, I do need to get back into the knowledge of Git. So that's one more thing I've got to be learning over the course of this. There was a little while ago, we had some listeners drop some links on really good places to learn Git once again. I think that is still inside the discourse. I'm going to have to go back and find which episode that was on and watch that video that was shared there. But I am well on the way to helping the kids not only code their robot in Python, but getting them a basic understanding of Git too. So from here, from our team, they can only go up. Well, I think that's super awesome. I've played around with Git quite a bit, but I don't use it enough that I remember all the process. I want to say that somewhere I saw like a flow chart of how things go. I don't remember oh. where I saw that. The different commands you do like visually understand how the whole thing flows, but I can't remember what I did with it and where it is. I'll have to look around, but maybe I can find something. Don't hold me to it because I don't have to let you down yet again. <laughs> Nate, you only do that anytime you open your mouth. Oh, oh that's a relief. <laughs> looking around here for my resources here and I just don't know what I did with it. On Git? Yeah. Nah, you'll find it. I don't need it right now. But yeah, it's definitely something that I will be playing with as time goes on. And I don't think our commands in general need to be super complicated. Though when the kids submit things, I want to be able to check it before it's actually merged into our current branch. So there is some different stuff. I do need to get it set up there so that me or one of the other mentors can check it before it gets merged into the main branch. But then if for any reason we get to robotics and the code that was on the laptops is for some reason not there, who knows what happened to it, accidents happen, a backup computer that we need to pull, we can still access those files from the repo, plus using them as an educational resource. So all of the resources for learning Git and checking my Python code are welcome. I'm playing the robot game at home and you have another game, game of the week for us, Matt. Is this one another story-focused game? Well, of course. Is there any other type of game? Why would I play video games with people? I mean, yes, you definitely are the story-focused game <laughs> person of the group, so that was a really stupid question, but I asked it anyway. Oh, I was waiting for the uh, Among Us plug. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Gosh, dang it. We still haven't made that happen. Of course, your work schedule has been crazy. I've been trying to give you some leeway there, but we've got to get this Among Us nailed down sometime. I think his leeway is running out. I'm just saying Bug Ryan and Michael. I'm just saying. You guys wanted a new community night. You got to get everybody on there from the community, which includes those two. Jill's already up for it. I already know you two are more than game for it, so... <laughs> <laughs> that we are. It could be in the middle of the night at two in the morning. And you're like, oh, let's play Among Us. <laughs> All right. Well, Magneto might have a bit of an issue with that, but... I don't have anybody that's going to give me issue on that. So I am fine at two o'clock in the morning to play Among Us with you. But it's going to have to be for a while. If I'm going to get up at two o'clock in the morning, we're going to invest some hours into this, Matt. <laughs> 
God, that means I got to deal with Nate. That's an observation that yeah. I don't want to deal with. Speaking of observations, that is the name of this week's game. It is a sci-fi puzzle game. This one, the tagline essentially is, you're not in the station, you are the station. The best way to explain this is Space Odyssey 2001. You know, HAL 3000 hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah, are you HAL? You go around playing as a robotic AI to help solve the problems going on in the station to figure out the further the storyline of the mystery where there is only one surviving astronaut. Hmm. And you'll go out and do things like spacewalks and you'll go out and do you know repair systems and that kind of stuff. The human that is left will kind of give you hints and along the way to help further those repairs and figure out what's going on in the station and stuff. I will say if those who have like epilepsy or anything, very flashing lights equal bad. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. I don't know the actual rating for this game, honestly. I'm going to assume, given how most of my games are, it's somewhere between teen and rated M, so more adult-focused, obviously. I thought I saw that it was rated M, but I could be wrong. Either way, most of my game recommendations tend to fall on that side of the, the spectrum anyway, so... I noticed this about you. We do have the oddball one. It's definitely rated M because I can't access the game without confirming that I'm 17+. plus. So there you go. Answers that. So yeah, nice little game. The graphics are actually really, really nice. I do like the graphics. The voice acting is good. If you like science and, you know, very modern day kind of NASA look and feel to everything, this was definitely something to look into, especially if you like uh, puzzle games too. This is definitely a very different way to do a game because you're through the lens of the station's artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. That's kind of weird, but kind of cool at the same time. It is a very unique game most people would expect me to be more into other games this is one of those that came across my desk um, a couple years ago and uh just the concept of like wait a minute you know most of the time when you're in like a station or like sci-fi kind of setting usually you're fighting something on the station you're not literally the station <laughs> yeah that's kind of cool it's a neat idea anyway you're the god character of the civilization, right? So in a way, this is kind of similar, but you're the station. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'd like to say this is just you hurling your toddler vomit at me of a game suggestion, but actually this seems pretty cool. It does play good on the Steam Deck, I'm just saying. Mm. And it usually goes on sale for under 10 bucks. I'm not going to confirm or deny I'm putting this on my watch list. And you can get it on GOG or Steam if you prefer the DRM-free version. And yes, the DRM-free version does play on Linux through uh, Heroic. That's the launcher to use, I think. If you want to deal with Epic or GOG, yes, it is. And if you want to deal with native games only, use Mini Galaxy. That's the best. Does Mini Galaxy work on the Steam Deck? I have not looked in Flatpak. There might, uh, there used to be a Flatpak. I don't know if it's been updated. There is one on Flat Hub. I don't know the last time it was updated. Yeah, just wondering. Not a huge deal. I would hold off on using said one. Uh, it's been over mm -hmm. a year since it's been updated. <laughs> So it may or may not be ready. Uh, yeah. So November 9th, 2021 was the last time it was up. Uh, the flat pack was updated like uh, on flat hub. So use it with your own caution. So Nate, while I'm playing a game called observation and making observations on puzzles and stuff, it seems like you made an observation about a lack of Linux representation at your local county fair this week. Yes, I did. Not that county fairs are known to have a lot of tech anything at them. But I just happen to notice that there's just a lack of anything like in the commercial buildings. There's really not any 
representation of any kind of Linux, but that's okay. At this county fair, my kids have entered poultry, so just a bunch of chickens, like 10 chickens between the three kids. It's kind of fun for them. They're learning some new things, interacting with some new people and, you know, other responsibilities that they can do throughout the week. And they've actually been very, very compliant so far the last couple of days on things we had to do. So that's been pretty exciting. But what I did was, I thought it was a great opportunity for me to bring my Steam Deck with me. And so when I'm just kind of sitting around, you know, because I'm not going to be up and going all the time, I want to relax a little bit. I can very easily pull this thing out, play a little bit, and then put it back. And no one's the wiser. And then I can talk about Linux with any people out there. Not that I'm trying to, you know, evangelize Linux, but hey, I'm pretty excited about Linux. I mean, after all, there's a couple of podcasts I'm per week. On that, there won't be a uh, Linux saloon this Saturday because we'll be at the fair. It's not going to work for me. It's not a real big thing to talk about, but it's just a notice that, you know, there's no Linux user group representation out here. Nothing that tickles my technology funny bone out there. And I think that's a little bit sad because I do remember the first time I used an internet browser. It was Netscape Navigator in the 90s at the county fair. That was the first time I got to use the internet in the Netscape form. So there has been technology represented in the past, just not right now. You did represent one thing, though, while you're out there, Nate. What's that? An Arch user. (laughs) Oh, yes. But if I show them the desktop, they're going to see the OpenSUSE logo in the corner. They're not going to see any Arch logos. I've got a faux OpenSUSE dark theme. Doesn't matter the cosmetics. The core is still the same. (laughs) Mm, The core is SteamOS. I got it. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or on the contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Loon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting Tux Digital Merch Store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I Pause My Game to Be Here shirt, or join hashtag team wendy with some sinister wendy swag as always we thank you for joining us we'll be back next week with another awesome soda of linux out loud until then keep the banter friendly conversation somewhat on topic and have fun doing it 